And they were basically saying, all you got to do to get out of purgatory or hell is to pay this $50 or $100 stipend, little, they call them, uh, uh, what did they call those things? Uh, penances. And you could get out of purgatory or hell. You won't have to go there. Well, sorry, that ain't how it works. Right? And Martin Luther, as he was reading his Bible over and over, you got to understand, Martin Luther was a monk. It wasn't just some Joe Schmo. He was a monk from the Alexandrian order. Okay? He knew what he was talking about. He was from the Augustinian line. St. Augustine was a monk that lived in the second century in North Africa. And this is the line of priests or ministers that Luther learned under. And he started reading his scripture and he understood Augustine's teaching that said that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because that's what scripture teaches. Amen? And he was like, no, dude, you can't, you can't just get out of hell by paying a $100 fine. You know what I mean? A $100 fee. And also, you can't cause people to go to hell if they don't pay it. Because, see, the problem wasn't just that people were getting out of hell because they wouldn't, because they paid it. The teaching was that if you didn't pay it, you were going to hell. Do you see what I mean? See the big difference there? Do you see why Martin Luther was upset and said, this is sacrilegious, this is blasphemy, this is not what Jesus did on the cross? Amen? And we, we got all kinds of that stuff that's going on nowadays, okay? It's just different kinds of heresy. Well, you're not really a believer if you don't have money. You're not really walking in faith if you're not blessed. And God won't hear your prayer unless you send me $40 so I can send you this special prayer cloth. Do you see the heresies? Do you see the ridiculousness of what we're talking about? And it's funny. I posted something earlier this week that Christians today would rather not offend anybody and allow people to continue to live in sin and believe lies because we don't want to have an argument. Somehow, the 11th commandment is thou shalt not offend anybody. But Jesus said it's impossible that offense would not come because the gospel is offensive. To the Jew, it is a stumbling block. To the Greek, it is foolishness. And we are called to preserve the gospel. It's the whole reason Paul writes Timothy. It's the whole reason he writes Titus. It's the whole reason he writes to Galatians. It's the whole reason he wrote to the Roman church. Almost every bit of Paul's writing dealt with the preservation of the gospel and preaching Christ and him crucified. Period. Amen? So as we're approaching... What I'm going to no longer celebrate Halloween, I'm going to celebrate Reformation Day. Are you with me? Amen. I think it's a better holiday. I think it's a better holiday. I have to agree. Amen. 
So here we go. I want to start. We're in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read it, and then we're going to start discussing it. We are not going to get through all of it today, I don't think. Okay? So let's begin. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now I think the King James says doctrines of devils. Right? <clears throat> We're going to get into all that. Through the in, insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while the body, uh, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way and it holds the promise for this present life and also the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance for this is the end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and in conduct, in love and in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift which you have, which has been given to you by prophet prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things in, uh, yeah, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, and I believe right there the King James says doctrine. Persist in this, for by so doing you will have both saved yourself and those who hear it. That's a long chapter, right? Boy, she's sleep already. It didn't take no time. Praise the Lord. Hey, your, your voice is soothing. <laughs> Apparently. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so right there. There's a whole bunch in there, okay? I couldn't stop. and I, I want to read it all because... We'll get stopped before I get through the whole chapter if we don't, okay? So it's better that I read it all and then we go and start hitting each verse, okay? And if we don't get to them all, guess what? I'll read it again next week and then we'll finish the chapter. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> it 
It's not a problem reading the scripture. Now, uh, uh, one of the most important things that I took away from the conference as far as pastors go, pastors' jobs. This is what people don't get uh, People are going to get offended, okay, at pastors sometimes. But if you go read the second book of Timothy, pastors' job is threefold. To reprove, to rebuke, and then to exhort. Reproof means I'm going to challenge you on your ideas or your thoughts towards sin. And then to rebuke is going to be I'm going to challenge you in your lifestyle that you don't do the things that you now know are wrong. Right? And then exhort means I'm going to encourage you to keep going. Okay? So if you were Joel Osteen, what it would read would be exhort, exhort, exhort. <laughs> Instead of reprove, rebuke, and exhort. <laughs> and you don't want to fall into any one of those categories. You don't want to just be reprove, reprove, reprove. You don't want to be just rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. You want to be all three of them. Amen? So in here we also see Paul telling Timothy in this letter to exhort the people to teach the scripture, to read the scripture. Amen? To watch his life, his doctrine. Amen? So that's how we're going to start. First, he starts out by saying, The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now, I'm going to ask a real theologically deep question. When's the last times? When's the latter times? What is he talking about? Huh? Before he died. Huh? Before he died? Yeah, before he died. Well, well. Uh, the age that we're living in right now. Some people try to put this age off to some distant place, okay? They're like, oh, this is talking about the very last days. Well, he is, here he's not talking about the very last days. He's just saying last days. And then he's telling him uh, later on, he says, I know I'm about to depart. And this is in his second letter. He said, I'm about to depart. And I know when I do, that people are going to come in teaching false doctrine and lead people astray. So it couldn't be the very last days because Paul was only going to live for, what, three or four or five more years, and then he's going to die. And he knew when he died that people would come into the church and start preaching false doctrine. So he was exhorting Timothy before it happened. Okay? Now I want to read you a quote. The last days here... R.C. Sproul says this, he says, this is not a future uh, just before the second coming of Christ, rather in keeping with the overall uh, New Testament perspective, it is the era inaugurated by Christ's first coming and consummated at his return. Acts chapter 2, let's turn to Acts chapter 2 real quick. Acts chapter 2, well, I'm going to go through a list of scriptures here that's going to give you some indication of what the last days here in this particular verse is talking about, okay? Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Now watch this. This is very important. And in the last days it, say, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, right? We all know this. This is the day of Pentecost, right? 
day of Pentecost, the Spirit came in the upper room, and Peter said, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel, right? In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, right? That's, this, that's, that's what he's quoting right here. He's quoting the prophet Joel, amen? So what he's doing here is he's letting you know, hey, the last days, they're here. We don't have to wait for the last days. We don't have to anticipate it coming in some future event. The last days is right now. Amen. It started the minute Jesus came the first time, and it will end when he comes back the second time. Amen. Uh, go with me to Hebrews chapter 1. God's favorite coffee. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. We might as well read verse 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days. Uh-oh. Are you seeing it? In these last days. He spoke, by, uh, spoke to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he has created the world. Now everybody can read plain English, right? So whether you got a King James Bible, whether you got an ESV, whether you got an NIV, they all say right here that this is the last days. Amen? Let's keep going. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive this nail all the way through, okay? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He says this. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Another one. So, you know, I, I understand there's this idea that the last days is going to be far out there, okay? But you got to understand, even when John was writing the book of Revelation, he was speaking as if these things had already begun, okay? Not saying that all of the tribulation that's to come has happened, because it's going to get worse and worse, okay? That's evident in Scripture as well. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have Come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. Are you seeing that? He didn't say it was coming. He didn't say it was, you know, down the road. He said right now. We know that this is that hour. Okay? Let's keep going. I'm not done yet. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. So flip back in front of uh, Hebrews there to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. 
And we know this one. This is the most famous one. I already quoted it. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Right? There will come times of great difficulty in the last days. And we already read five other verses that said this is the last days. Amen? So I just want to clarify that, okay? So Sproles is saying that now, this time that we're living in, the, from the advent of Christ's first coming to the advent of his second coming, when that happens, that will conclude the last times, okay? Then, then the last times will be over, but has been going on since he first came, okay? He says, the end time tribulation has begun. Oh, that's one that we're in. Pastor, really? 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 Go with me. Flip forward uh, or backwards in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians. Okay? Chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7. I want you to, want you to get this. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Read that in the King James for me, Mike. I want to hear it. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. Exactly. The mystery is already We already know that antichrists, many antichrists, it said, are already in the world, have already come into the world, correct? So we cannot take this out of the context of saying, oh, this is only for future. Now, if you look, this is talking about it's here, but it's restrained, right? So the end times are here, but not everything's happened yet because there's some things being restrained. Amen? So what I'm telling you is, even though we're in the end times, we're not in the very, 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 very end of those end times. See that? And if you read verse 3, watch this. Let no one deceive you in, many, in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion come first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you I told you these things and you know what is restraining him so that he may be revealed in his time, right? So right there, before verse 7, we read 3 through 6, is telling you, look, the son of lawlessness is coming. And then verse, six, or verse 7 is telling you, it's already begun. That iniquity, the mystery of that iniquity is already beginning, okay? And if you read 7 through the rest of the chapter, or 8 through the rest of the chapter, it'll give you the rest of it. He said, and then, notice what he says, and then, and then, that's a transition, right? So we understand that 
the, there's certain things that's going to happen when the lawlessness one is released, but we already know that Antichrist is here, and the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. Many Antichrists have come. That's what the scripture says, right? They're being restrained. Right? And then he says, and then the lawlessness one will, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Now, this is important for you to understand these things that are being said right here. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse the love of the truth to, so to be saved. Therefore, God sends them strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe him the truth, believe the truth, and had pleasure in unrighteousness. Notice how even when he's talking futuristic kind of, he's using past tense verbs, had. See that? He's using the word had. That's important. He says, therefore, God will send them strong and loose so they may believe what is false in order that they all may be condemned and not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And them that are having pleasure in unrighteousness are doing it right now. Amen? All right. So this is the time frame we're talking about. And if you go to, uh, you know, verse 3 through 6, verse 8 through 12 kind of tells us that even though it's kind of started right now, it's going to get worse and worse. Amen? And because there's something being restrained right now. Paul warns in Acts chapter 20 that there is going to be a time when false teachers come in. And this is what I was telling you about a minute ago. If, if you flip your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 20, I'll show you where Paul tells these people, look, I'm, I'm not going to be here forever. And there's going to be people come in, and they're going to teach false doctrine. Starting at verse 28, he says, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Now, we know that word overseer means what? Bishop, right? Which is where we get our word pastor. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure... Notice, this is where he's talking about it, right here. After my departure, wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I command you, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now do you see why Paul's writing these letters to these churches? He's not writing them just to say hi. Okay. Now, he does give them a greeting in there, but the reality is Paul has a purpose and a meaning behind sending these letters to Timothy. And we know from chapter 1 of this book that Paul is talking to Timothy about 
preaching the gospel, keeping it pure, and not letting other people come in and teach false doctrine. Okay? And Paul keeps coming back to this in every chapter. He's driving this nail home. Okay? Because he wants you to be rooted and grounded in truth. Just like he wanted Timothy to be rooted and grounded in truth. Amen? So we see that Paul is saying this is the last times people are already doing this. This theme is a theme of much of Paul's letters, especially the pastoral epistles. Now, the pastoral epistles, if you don't know what those are, that's Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy, and Titus. Those are the ones that Paul writes to pastors. He left Timothy in Ephesus. He left uh, Titus in Crete to be elders or overseers over those churches. And he's writing these letters to tell them how the church should operate once Paul's gone. You see that? Uh, Paul's guarding against false teaching is of the utmost importance for all believers, but we see here in these epistles that he thinks it's especially important for pastors to guard their flock against false teaching. Amen? I want to get I want to get going. Let's let's read the next couple verses. He says he says there uh Oh, I'm in, I'm in 2 Timothy. That's, don't do that. There we go. The Spirit, now, uh, the Spirit speaks expressly in these latter times. Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceiving spirits and teachings of demons. Now, this part right here is an echo of chapter 1. Okay? If you flip back to chapter 1, we're going to read... The first couple of verses here, verse three, he said, I, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God, which is by faith. Now, these myths and endless genealogies, I told you that when I researched these, just this one verse, I found about 15 commentaries that all agree that these myths of the ancient day was that of angel worship and worshiping lesser deities. We call that Gnosticism, okay? And Gnosticism was on a rise at the very beginning of the first century, even as Jesus was beginning to preach the gospel, Gnosticism was taking root at that time. So they were dealing with this kind of thing very early in the church, okay? And which is why when the reformers looked at the way Catholics view saints and pray to saints and to angels they had a serious biblical issue with it amen because even in revelation when john was standing beside the angel in the last book of revelation he said i fell on my face by the angel that stood before me and the angels picked him up he said no you must not worship me i'm a servant of god just like you Angels don't want to be worshipped. 
We shouldn't worship them. Amen? Amen. Now, when he's, Paul is systematically reminding Timothy in this letter, even in the letter, he's reminding him what he started out the letter with right here. He's saying, he's telling him, look, make, make sure people understand that they don't need to devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. He said, because people are going to do this in the last days. This is what chapter 4 is about. He's telling this. Spirit speaks expressly in the latter times. Some will depart from the faith, depart, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons or doctrines of devils, the King James says. Through insecure, uh, insecurity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now, I took this and I broke it down for you, okay? Seducing spirits is what the... Uh, is, is what the uh, ESV says, okay? Or the King James says seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, right? right. Deceitful spirits and teaching, teachings of demons. That's what the ESV says. Deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That's what the NIV says. Now they're all saying the same thing, right? So I don't know why people get all upset about some of these things. Oh, it changed the meaning. Well, right here, it doesn't change the meaning at all. It's telling you the same thing. Amen? What I want you to understand is these, these doctrines of devils, he points them out. Watch what he does. I want you to see how Paul's going through this. He said, they're through insecurity of liars whose consciences are seared. Do you know what happens when you sear something? It's burned, but it deadens it. Like the spot that is seared, even once it's healed, you can touch it, and there's no feeling. So you understand when he's telling you that these false teachers are going to have seared consciences. They're not going to care that they're hurting your feelings. They're not going to care. And this is, this. if you want to just flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, it makes sense now because if you read 2 Timothy 3, he says, But understand this, in the last days, perilous times will come. For people will be lovers of their own self. Boastful, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, <laughs> swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, but denying the power. Understand that the false teachers that are going to creep in among you, they're not going to care about stealing your money. They're not going to care one single bit about lying to your face about something that they teach even though it's not scriptural. They don't care. So if, if you're in a church where your pastor cares about sticking to the word of God, probably I'll stay there. Because <laughs> you can go out there being part of one of these other things where people are teaching all kinds of craziness. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. I'm going to flip back here. Now he also says this, he says, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God has created. Wow, wow. 
Now, the first thing I want, and I'm going to get lost on a subject here for a minute because this is important. Because right now in our country, and it's been going on for 50, 60 years, the sanctity of marriage has been under attack. It's been under attack by trying to take roles of men and women away from each other. Now, I'm not saying women can't play football or anything. Don't take it out of context. But there's a mother and a father, and it's described in the Bible as the family unit. Paul even addressed this in the last chapter when he was talking about elders must be the husband of what? One wife, right? Meaning that there's a marriage, a godly marriage. Amen. Matter of factly, some of the most gross sins Spelled out in the New Testament are sexual sins, fornication, adultery, homosexuality. Every one of them, Galatians chapter 5, let's go there, let's go there. Galatians 5, if I can remember where Galatians is, I'll get there. Galatians 5, starting at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, in, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, anger rivalries, Dissension, division, envying, drunkenness, orgies, things like that. I warn you and warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's important for you to remember that. Very important. 1 Corinthians chapter First Corinthians chapter 6 starting at verse 9 it says or do you not know that unrighteous or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor the greedy nor the drunkards, nor the revelers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, such were some of you. So the difference isn't to say that you can never commit these sins. The difference is to say my idea about what is sin has got to change. Therefore, I get reproved in my mind and I understand that that sin is wrong, and then I have to beat my body, Paul says, into submission. I die daily. I crucify the flesh so that I rebuke my flesh to obey the word of God, and then I am encouraged knowing that I am doing the will of God. Salvation is free, but there is an expectation of change. 
He said, you can't do these things. That means I can't livingly, knowingly practice these sins, okay? The difference is, oh, pastor, what if I committed adultery in the past? Good, repent. Don't commit adultery ever again. Amen. That's not to say you can live in adultery and still praise God and think you're going to heaven at the same time either. I would never say that. Because the Bible just expressly said those who do such things. What the word do mean? That means present tense. I'm living it, doing it, participating in it. And here's the worst thing. This is the attitude that's in the world right now. And it's in the church right now. We'll look at sin and we'll say sin is okay. We'll look at sin and we'll say, well, the, you know, I, God, I think God will overlook that. No, God doesn't overlook sin. Sin has to be paid for. Either you're going to accept the free gift of God that's in Christ Jesus and you're going to turn your life over to him and let him lead you, guide you, and be your Lord. Therefore, you die to yourself, your own wants, your own needs, your own desires, or you're going to follow your own flesh and you will end up in hell. That's the truth of the gospel. And that's probably why our room is not as full as some people who just exhort, 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 exhort. <laughs> but the truth is still the truth. And we can't move the mark just to make people feel comfortable about their sin. That's right. You don't mold the Bible to your life. Your life must be molded, conformed to the image of Christ. Amen? So we're, that's what we're talking about in this when we're talking about these sexual sins. Now, this in this one, he's specifically talking about they're going to forbid marriage. And the Puritans jumped all over this with the Catholic priests. You know, the Catholics said, oh, you can't get married to be a priest. Which is not what the Word of God teaches anyway, okay? Matter of fact, the pastor better be the husband of one wife, it said, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying what, what the Bible said, and we just read that chapter last week, right? So uh, let's not get lost in, the, uh, uh, in all these side topics. We're talking about 1 Timothy chapter 4 relating to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The whole letter is relevant to itself, amen? Scripture, interpreting Scripture right before our eyes. Amen? Lastly, I'm going to, what time is it? I want to, I, I got to start being more cognizant of what time it is. Okay. I got, I got a little bit of time here. Now, this is a reference back to chapter 1 a little bit. But right here, he's talking about when they're forbidding marriage and abstaining from foods that God created. Why? Would anybody abstain from food God created or marriage that God created? Notice both these things are things that God created. And the enemy is apt to do this. He will take something and pervert it to fit his own need. And then you think it's okay to do it that way just because. Even though the scripture is it right for men and women to be in relationships together? Yes. But then it needs to be godly. It needs to be godly relationships. If we want to go back to what Jesus talked about, 
Let's just go back to what Jesus talked about. Go to Matthew chapter 6. You know, that, that, that saying is okay, fear is a liar, but the reality is you better fear the Lord because that's not a lie. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And if I don't fear God, I don't respect God, I don't believe in God, if I am not walking in a healthy fear of who God really is in my life. Jesus was asked some questions and talked about divorce. We read it when we went through Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say unto you, everyone who, is divorced, who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That's not my words. That's Jesus' words. But do you see how we make exceptions? Just on this one subject. We'll make exceptions over and over and over, even though God doesn't make those exceptions. Amen? It's important for us to realize how seriously God takes his word. Amen? We don't want to be a part of anything that's saying, hey, you can't get married. And we don't want to be a part of anything that's saying, hey, you can't eat that meat. You can't drink that drink. But we also don't want to get involved with something that's going to say something is good and God calls it evil. Isaiah said, woe unto you who call evil good and good evil. Now, when that, we, we get an understanding of this better if I change woe into a word that you'll understand. Cursed be everyone who calls good evil and evil good. That word anathema would be used if it was in the Greek. Cursed be anyone. When Jesus was pronouncing woes just before he was taken, he was pronouncing woes onto the scribes and Pharisees, wasn't he? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, teachers of the law. You strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. You are blind guides. You don't go into heaven. You won't suffer anyone else to go in either. You're like whitewashed tombs. All fancy and clean on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones and all corruption. Jesus didn't patty cake sin. Jesus loved sinners. Jesus ate and drank with sinners. Notice that Jesus did not participate in their sin. Amen. Notice that Jesus, although he loved them, he never once condoned their lifestyle. Amen. He was at the well with the woman who had had five husbands. Now, four husbands, and the one she was with wasn't her husband, right? Four husbands. Jesus looked at her and said, go call your husband out here. And she said, Lord, I don't have any husband. And, she, and Jesus looked at her and said, you said right. 
or Kevin's translation, you're not lying. You did. You, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had four of them, and the man you're with right now is not your husband. And that woman was so moved that she went and got the whole town to come out and see this Jesus that told her everything about herself. You see, that's what the Bible does. And I think this is where I'm going to end for today. It's where the Word of God does. The Word of God is living and active. Able to divide the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow and the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When I look at the Word of God, I am laid bare before it. I cannot lie to it. I cannot hide from it. When I look at the Word of God and I actually seek to know what God says, when God says something and I believe Him and I'm following Him, I can't change what God says. I have to change. That's where we have to be. The cults, false teachers, they'll lie to you, to your face. Your sin's okay. Just come on, stay in here. Why? Because they want numbers. They want people to stay there and listen and give. If you haven't figured it out by now, I don't preach so that I can get numbers or so that people will give. Preach because God's word is true and every man is a liar. That term, fear is a liar, only, only refers to fear from the enemy. You better be afraid of God. Because the reality is every single person in this room is going to die and give an account for their life. Every person in this room will die and stand before a living and holy God. And your excuse cannot be, Kevin didn't tell me. Your excuse will only be, I didn't listen. Amen. Amen. I must. And I'm taking it more seriously than you can blame Brett and Josh and, and the other Josh for that conference I went to. But I take it seriously. The role of a pastor to tell you the truth. Amen. I'm not going to patty cake it. I'm not here to be a some cult leader to get worshipped. I don't care if you like me at all, okay? The word of God's true, whether you like me or not. We need to understand that God takes his word very seriously. Posted a post yesterday about how Kenneth Copeland, back in March, stood in the office of a prophet and declared coronavirus was dead right then. And I posted a post. I said the coronavirus must have looked at Kenneth Copeland and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? The reality is God didn't tell him to say that. Therefore, it didn't happen. And we need to be very careful when we say we're speaking on God's behalf because that's an important thing. You go back to Deuteronomy chapter 20, the prophet would have been stoned to death. For prophesying something that did not come to pass. Take it very seriously. Standing behind this pulpit. Because 
just as every one of us will give an account for what we teach and what we say, a pastor is going to be held to higher standard for what they teach and what they say. Amen? Everybody stand. Father God, we just thank you and praise you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your message, God. Thank you for the letter that you had Paul write to Timothy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God, that we could glean from it understanding of how to watch out for false teaching, how to watch out for the wolves that would creep into our houses and lead us astray, who would capture our imaginations with thoughts and, and ideas that are not holy and not from you, God. Lord, I pray that you would consecrate in us the right understanding, God, the right heart, the right mind, the right message from your word, God. Help us not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but help us to be conformed to the image of your son by the transforming of our mind that we may test and prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Give somebody a hug before you leave.